This is Think Queerly, and I'm your host, Darren Steele. I'm going to be speaking about human-heartedness today, and I'm going to tell you a story. I was out for a walk with a friend of mine probably six weeks ago, and I was telling him what was going on. And he said, you've hit an inflection point. Let me give you the definition of what that is, if, if you don't know what it is. In mathematics, the point of inflection is the point on a curve at which a change in the direction of curvature occurs. Yeah, that's really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> in business, as a term, it means a time of significant change in a situation or a turning point. Well, business, life, what's the difference? A significant change in a situation or a turning point. Well, I had published uh, both in long article form and in podcasts three parts of a series that I was associating with the naming where you stand or what you stand for in life. And the first one started as Is What You Stand For in Life Making a Meaningful Difference in the World? Uh, that was uh, Part one and part two of that was covered in uh, the Think Queerly episode 171. And then I talked about self-examination as a significant contributor to one's moral character. And then finally, asking the question, does your moral character commune understanding and respect for human dignity? And by commune, I meant making that deeper, really almost visceral connection with another human being. Communing with someone else is really about how we connect with someone. I had promised a part four, and maybe even a part five of that article series, but that didn't happen. Now, it didn't happen because I hadn't written it. It didn't happen because I didn't know um, whether I should publish it or not, although it has a little bit to do with that. You see, I had written part four, but it was close to 4,500 words. It probably would have taken me an hour to do the podcast, and I was thinking of breaking the podcast up into actually seven sections uh, to go through the introduction and then to actually speak about the six principles of human heartedness. And I had submitted it to a philosophy publication on Medium, and I hadn't heard back from the editor for some time, and I just followed up and I got a response. Yeah, the article's a bit on the long side. And it sounds like I'm disparaging the editor. I thought to myself, this is a philosophy publication, or at least it claims to be. Philosophy can sometimes be very complicated, but sometimes some authors, some philosophers, some deep thinkers try and take really challenging topics and break them down into something that's easy to understand. I realized that I had, it felt like I had bitten off more than I could chew, but I also recognized that this is how we grow. We challenge ourselves. We sometimes feel maybe overwhelmed or stressed in a way by what we don't know. But then when we seek to try and understand more, 
we can reduce that stress. We create more prediction about that which we previously didn't understand. And as we understand it more, then we create more response in the sense of how we are able to apply it or talk about it with other people. So I thought about it, and then I just took the article out of the submission queue at that publication. And I have to kind of laugh at the situation, because it was frustrating on the one hand, and on another hand, as a writer, as a thinker, as somebody who's putting out his ideas into the world, I wanted some validation from other people that I was speaking to something that could actually make a difference in the world and change people's lives. But I also realize if I'm dependent on other people's validation, um, that's, a, that's a challenging place to come from, because if I don't get it, I might question my own worth and whether or not I should keep going. So there were a couple of really interesting lessons in this process. So my friend had some interesting insight. He was asking me whether I should look at actual philosophy publications or publications that dealt more with moral philosophy. And that while my piece wasn't seeking to be academic, the challenge might be that some of these other publications might be more academic. And I had thought of submitting this very substantial article looking at human-heartedness as a kind of a, a virtue, a way of helping individuals in society create a broader, more open-minded civic discourse and to deal with issues of polarization and uh, this constant threat of attack. So one of the places I wanted to publish, then I realized, no, they were only accepting people with academic credentials. So <laughs> the good thing is that I backed off from trying to rush forward with an idea. Now, this part four of this article series that I wrote, and I'll tell you what the title was, Towards a Harmonizing Universal Morality Based in the Tao Te Ching. And it explains the idea of where you stand in relation to the six principles I have created that I'm terming human heartedness. And that in itself is a story um, where human heartedness comes from. And the general idea is that I'm looking at a set of principles or call them values. And when these values work together, they can almost be transcendent because working as a whole, they have a much greater affect and effect upon the person and the people around you. And the groups of people around you that may expand outwards in a larger fashion, like ripples in a pond going from perhaps your immediate family or circle of friends into your workplace, into a municipality, maybe into a province or a state, and farther out. It's all a matter of who might take up these ideas and build upon them. But this idea of where you stand is so important to me because there is a common, what might be considered a mistranslation in, in many of the versions of the Tao teaching. You've heard the expression, 
the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. According to a couple of commentators, translators of the Tao Te Ching, that should be a journey of a thousand miles begins beneath the feet. And when you think about it, a journey of a thousand miles is you see something we plan. Where are we going to go? It's not necessarily going to be a straight line, but we might have a map or we'll have coordinates or we'll have an idea. I want to go here, 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 here. And I'm thinking it's going to take this long. You can't get somewhere unless you are coming from a place where you know that you already are. So you need to know where you stand, which is why the journey of a thousand miles begins beneath your feet. And if you don't know where you stand, where do you go? Or how do you act in a way that is moral? How do you act in a way that is ethical? If you don't know where you stand and what you stand for, well, then how can you say your beliefs are true? And when I speak about beliefs, I'm not talking specifically about belief in a God or a higher power. I'm talking about beliefs about things like, what do you feel is the truth about money or sex or love or friendship or career or accomplishment or success? These core ideas in our current society in the 21st century that most of us use to frame our life and to live. So if you don't know what you believe, for example, about money, if you don't know what you believe about what's morally right or wrong, then you probably believe what you were taught to believe by your parents. And what that means is that your parents, in bringing you up as a baby, child, and an adolescent, put you in a particular school, whether that was private or public, secular or religious, Because they wanted you to learn certain lessons, essentially moral lessons about how to lead a life. And they may have put you into certain um, hobbies or after-school activities or programs, hoping that you would go and take a certain path. And you may not have started questioning these things until the rebellious teenage years. You may have never questioned these. You may have gone to university, as an example, my first year philosophy course in my first year university is where I really realized that I wasn't agnostic. I was in fact atheist at that time. And that course helped me come up with that understanding that I hadn't discerned what my beliefs were at that time until I was kind of confronted with the question about what do I actually stand for in my own life? So where I found myself was at an inflection point, because even the name of this podcast, Think Queerly, and then constantly mentioning human-heartedness, and I'm a human-heartedness coach, caused a bit of a tension in my own mind, because I'm thinking from a branding perspective of how do people understand the work that I do as a coach, But I also think of myself as a deep thinker, a a messenger, if you will. I'm not so fond of the word thought leader because I feel that has too much of like a guru status and somebody elevating somebody else over someone else and or better than in one's critical thinking and exposition. Rather, I guess I'm something of a philosopher that I'm thinking about the meaning of life and what it means for us to work together as a society 
And my investigation, sort of by chance, into the Tao Te Ching opened up my mind to a lot. And at first I thought I needed to keep the two things separate, that I needed to keep my coaching and my coaching content separate from what I was terming this universal moral philosophy termed human-heartedness. But then I realized how much these were overlapping and how much I approached things in my own life. And I have in front of me my values, my showing up words, my principles of human-heartedness, my purpose. Those are all in post-it notes on my wall, so I can always be reminded of those things, especially if I'm confused about making a decision or trying to establish a direction. And maybe a month or so ago, I was in session with a client, a coaching client, and I was summarizing where we had come in the time we had worked together. And I walked through how all the principles of human-heartedness, all the values of human-heartedness, non-contention, impartiality, compassion, open-mindedness, humility, and oneness or universal connection, universal commonality, how he showed up in all of those values or principles or characteristics and how much of a, that impressed me and how much that for me signified the kind of leader and leadership that he was providing in something he's creating. And that's when I realized the inflection point was almost like these two things were meeting. And if it had have been kind of like two lines intersecting, intersecting, <laughs> two lines intersecting the coaching work, things like my personal evolution processes, how to get the love that you feel you deserve, or how to get the respect you deserve, or how to um, determine what you need to let go of, all great coaching practices and processes, how to determine what your beliefs are, what you believe to be true, what are your values, classic, classic coaching exercises. But how do I go to the next level? So that intersection, that inflection point with human heartedness and these principles intersecting made me realize that I have a defining moment, that this moral philosophy, this universal moral philosophy, this way of being human-hearted is a project. And so I've taken everything I've written about the subject so far, and I'm working on it as a project or a program that I'm going to announce soon. I'm still figuring this out. That... In order for human-heartedness to have influence, it needs to be practiced by other human beings. In a nutshell, I have taken my inspiration from my reading and contemplation of the Tao Te Ching about virtue in the sense of 
a healthy society, a healthy individual within society functioning within the collective, for lack of a better word, and sort of the naturalism or natural order principles that come from the Tao teaching from observing nature to create human heartedness, which is a state of personal character and personal responsibility that's integral to supporting a harmonious civic society and a collective humanity, one in which we can get along, one in which we can work towards more agreement, one in which we can still be diverse as individuals and societies and countries, but we can all have some form of universal agreement about what we should and shouldn't do in order not to completely destroy the ecology through pollution and climate change, or worse, press that button and launch a nuclear attack simply because one country is withholding necessary materials for capitalist endeavors and projects. A change is coming in the world, whether that change be the end of the good life as we know it, or whether that be a change in a sense of a very radical change to the kind of society we see today into something that is going to take quite some time. And I realize other people are doing this work with their own lenses, their own framework. Um, Recently finished reading Reset, Reclaiming the Internet for Civil Society by Ronald J. Uh, Dibert or Debert, I don't know how to say his name. It's a CBC Massey Lectures book. And he's looking at the world through the challenge of the internet and the restraints and controls that we need to set up with that to create a more harmonious society and the kinds of education that we need to bring back that's being lost, like the classics arts, languages, so that we can broaden minds in technology and science, so that it isn't just bits and bytes and and logical processes which don't necessarily connect with that which makes us human. So I know that as a collective humanity, we have this knowledge, but I believe we have become unskillful as a collective. There's too few of us that are practicing these skills, but that is the beautiful thing. This knowledge is not new. This knowledge is found in ancient wisdoms of the Tao Te Ching, of Plato and Aristotle, even in religious texts, when they're speaking about moral behavior and universal kindness and personal responsibility and turning the other cheek, so to speak. So I hope this piques your interest. At this point, you would potentially be expecting me to sell you something, right? It's not ready. (laughs) It's not ready. But I want to be transparent and I want to be more vulnerable in sharing my work as I'm working on it. 
Because if this is going to be a universal moral philosophy, if this is going to be a pr- an approach to be more human-hearted, to take principles and values and beliefs and create a better society, it will never be a template. It will never be fixed. It will be fluid. It will be dynamic. And it will require practicing individuals who are falling down, getting back up, creating refinement, coming up with insights and sharing their experiences and making a difference. So I guess what I would say is, I have a question. What do you think? Does this inspire you? Do you want to learn more about human-heartedness? Do you want to learn more about a universal moral philosophy that is something that could be shared by everyone while still allowing for uniqueness, individuality, and diversity. So that's the ask. Share your thoughts or sign up to get on the list because I'm going to start collecting names for those of you that are interested in hearing more. And as I have more information, I will send that to you. All right. Thank you for listening.